What's going on, guys? I'm John Hasselbauer, golf writer for thelines.com. And in this video, we'll be going over the 2023 Arnold Palmer Invitational. It is the fourth elevated event of the 2023 season following the Century Tournament of Champions, the WM Phoenix Open, the Genesis Invitational, and now the API. It follows up a kind of lackluster uh, Honda Classic, as was to be expected. Um, that was sort of like a, a player's bye week. The players, instead of basically every good player in the world, has played uh, at the Seminole sort of pro-am uh, member guest situation that happened on Monday. Um, so all of the game's best are now in Florida, and they will be teeing it up this Thursday. Um, before we get any further, make sure that you are subscribed to the Limes YouTube channel that continues to grow even despite football season being over. Um, it is golf in full swing now that we have elevated event after elevated event with the players next week. I think we're going to do a little bit extra bonus content for the players next week, some mega casts and, and some deeper dives into the field since I know that is uh, the fifth major, essentially one of my favorite courses uh, in TPC Sawgrass. So really looking forward to that one, um, but don't want to get ahead of ourselves because it is API week. Um, before we get any further into uh, API, as always, we'll look back at the Honda Classic. Um, and we'll touch on Live a little bit because you can't really ignore that that also happened and that the field was um, considerably better at Live, although the drama was quite less. Um, so Honda Classic, your winner was Chris Kirk in a playoff. Um, a theme that just continues to to prevail in golf in 2023 is a sort of like, I'm not going to call this David versus Goliath because Chris Kirk is not Goliath, but uh, Eric Cole is definitely David. Um, and we've had a lot of these, where did this guy come from con contenders in basically every event of 2023. Um, and the better player is prevailing uh, every single time, which is kind of um, frustrating for people who want to bet outrights. I know Eric Cole was a popular outright bet somebody who I kind of missed on because not somebody who's going to jump out in any sort of strokes gain metric. Um, but people who did their research knew that he was extremely familiar with Florida and with um, PGA national specifically. So kudos to those guys. I need to need to step up my research game beyond the, uh, the strokes gain, look for the narratives, look for the home bed uh, narratives. I think we have a few of those this week um, at Bay Hill. So um, kudos to everybody. I hope you had an each way on them or a top five, a top 10 on Eric Cole, because I know there were a lot of tickets out there, a lot of tickets on, on Chris Kirk as well. He was a guy I talked about in this video last week that I loved him and, and would have bet him if the number was there. Um, I was out golfing on pres president's day. So if there were thirties or 34s or 35s, uh, I missed it. And, and it's easy to say in hindsight, that if I would have been there at a 35, um, I, I think I probably would have been to be honest, but by the time I looked at the board, it was 24. Um, so maybe a missed opportunity there on Kirk, but also kind of thankful that, uh, I didn't have to sweat that because when he, he dropped it in the water and nearly, uh, took a windshield out of that Honda Civic, um, on 18, I'm sure everybody thought they were left for dead. Um, so kudos to Chris Kirk, easy guy to root for. He's been knocking on the door for about eight years, really repeatable swing and a consistent ball striker. Um, really as, as consistent as they come in 2023, when you look at his strokes game metrics, he's like a top five from T to green guy. And, and he does very well in, in Florida. So the pick made sense a little too short for me. So I wasn't there, but I think the process is still 
uh, in a good place and happy for everybody else who um, who had an outright on him. Um, also last week was was Liv Mayakoba. I love Mayakoba. I'm still repping Mayakoba here and here. One of my favorite um, golf complexes, if you've never been, as, as far as like resort golf goes, it's like one of the most beautiful amenities I've ever been to. It is a little bit of a pricey round, but um, not a long course. Yeah, I, when it's tipped out, I think it's 68, 6,900. Um, but really, really claustrophobic, not a driver course, um, which is not the best fit for me. I didn't post a good score there, but I, I do um, love that course. And despite how much I love the course, I didn't watch a minute of live. I think it's it, it's impossible to put your live thoughts on Twitter as honest or objective as or as you can be, whether you are or not, or you have your bias, whatever. Uh, anything you put on Twitter, you, the, the live crowd kind of takes it and runs with it. So I figured maybe this is the better forum to talk a little bit about, you know, my thoughts on live. Because, um, yeah, if you tweet, I don't like live, um, then the natural response is, well, you're talking a lot about it. So you must actually really care about it. Um, I don't. I don't care about the golf itself. I didn't watch a minute of it. I could have eaten. Well, should say I could easily have watched it, but it's actually a lot harder to get to it. Now, I don't have cable. I don't subscribe to a broadcast package, so I can't just put CW on my TV and I'm not going out of my way to download the CW app for something that I don't care about. Um, so it was easier for me to, to check in like passively when it was on YouTube. Now I'm just, I'm not going to, I don't care enough. Um, I also can't bet on it, which is everything that we talk about here um, if I could bet on Liv, I, I'm sure I would throw a little Sebastian Munoz first round leader, a little Mito outright for, you know, for the good old days. Um, but uh, I don't care about watching rich overpaid golfers get paid even more. And I think that's really the the overarching sentiment from last week, because it was it was two very polarizing conclusions um, and, and, uh, one was a full field that went to the very last hole into a playoff with Chris Kirk versus Eric Cole, two non-household names who, if you don't, it, I follow golf every week. I didn't know who Eric Cole was before this week. So two kind of nobodies. And yet the, the drama was still compelling because you could tell how much this 34 year old journeyman needed this win and how much his life was going to change if he earned first place and went out and won a golf tournament against a bunch of PGA tour professionals. So that was kind of palpable watching that, that there were implications going into this final stretch. You have to get a par, you have to get a birdie. You have to get a par on all of the bear trap holes. You got to get a birdie on, on the, the last hole to win it. And ultimately, you know, you're watching this guy nervously hit these shots. It's, it's kind of relatable. Like I would be very nervous trying to close out a, 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 an event when it's right in front of you like that too. His mom is there. Like there's just a lot of drama for a tournament that that's field was not impressive. And we knew this was a sort of bye week where all the best players weren't going to be there. Um, but you know, Eric Cole nearly won an event that Shane Lowry and Sung JM were in. So that's, that's impressive. Um, and then on the other hand, you have Charles Howell III, who was nowhere to be found on PGA Tour leaderboards for the last five years. Um, as, lo as long as I've covered golf since you know 2020 and, and followed it long before that, I've never seen Charles Howell on a Sunday in a final pairing going down the stretch. So he's sort of this journeyman guy who is just okay. An obvious decision to go to live for him because the best days are behind him. Um, and whenever somebody wins a, a live event, I just say he, 
he established a 54 hole lead um, after three days. So cool. You, <laughs> there was no drama. Uh, there's no Charles Howell fans out there who are excited that he won. It did nothing to to grow Liv's footprint watching Charles Howell play significantly better than a bunch of mediocre golfers. And Cam Smith has been irrelevant for the last, like, I think he had a couple missed cuts going into this, and now he wasn't a, f- a factor in this. DJ didn't look very sharp at all. Um, if that continues, uh, look, I'm not going to say I'm not going to bet the, these live guys at the Masters. I think Cam Smith is always going to show up at, at Augusta and play well, and I think the same for DJ. Um, and if these guys continue to play poorly and not impress in live, um, I'm happy to, to, you know, take a future buy low on these guys at the masters. I'm not saying that once you join live, you're a ter- terrible golfer, but, um, once you've joined live, I no longer care about the implications of anything you're doing on a week to week basis until you're playing a 72 hole event. So now there's no live for a few weeks. I don't know when the next event is. I'll also be not watching that one. Um, but it's it's nice that we can turn the page to all the best PGA Tour players um, being in one place at this elevated event this week, and then we get it again next week at the Players' Championship. Um, so that is last week. Now we're going to switch ahead to the the week ahead at Bay Hill for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. So uh, if you've been reading my tournament previews every week, Thank you again. Always appreciate the support. The link to that article is in the description of this video. Something I did want to just call out for this week. You're probably familiar with the Everything You Need to Know um, uh, article that goes out every Sunday. Something new that we're going to start to do going forward is kind of link at this point here once we get to the introduction of the course. If you click this, you will be linked out to this Evergreen page. And the goal going forward is that that evergreen page is always there um, before my article previews go out, but a week out from the tournament, if you just want to kind of get ready um, for what what's what the next week's all about. This is all evergreen information that's not going to change regardless of field um, or anything else. This is going to show you odds as soon as they become available, which you know as soon as we hit Monday morning, odds are going to be on this page. Um, there are projections here which need to be updated um, more regularly, but that will be, you know, if it's if the, if the field is released on Friday, the goal would be that I put my odds projections right here for the top five to start. And then you've got your your course preview, overview, um, and then the course specs that, that would have typically been in the, in the tournament preview article are now going to live here. Um, and then the betting trends will also live here. But this is all evergreen stuff. It's not going to change regardless of field. Um, and that allows the tournament preview article to really be adjusted for everything that's going on in the field week to week. So that was a slight change to to the content. It's all the same information. It's just in two different places. And the goal is just to get that information out sooner um, because the the actual tournament preview article is reliant on getting the actualized field um, available and confirmed and modeled so that we can dig into who's playing and who... Um, who, who we like the most. Um, so going into Bay Hill now with that all said, um, it is one of the longer courses on tour, just under 7,500 yards. It is one of the most difficult courses on tour um, with winning scores in the single digits under par in, let's see, two of the last three years. Uh, both of those two of the last three years have been extremely windy 
Uh, it is a par 72 with four par five. So we do expect all the players to score on those par fives, which is why scoring in general in the non-windy windy years is going to get to your sort of low teens, um, you know, 12, 11 under par. Um, but if the wind picks up at all, this is maybe the toughest test beyond some of the majors even. Um, in Orlando, Florida, very highly susceptible to the wind. Um, and, and yeah, it's really determined the outcome of this event. Um, so keeping an eye out for the weather report, looking at wave splits is something I, I honestly, I hate to do it. Um, because I'm, I'm somebody who Monday morning, I just want to see who's playing and bet the guys who have the best number. Um, and when you take wind splits into account, it's kind of like, okay, I like, I like this guy, but I'm not going to play him if he goes off. Uh, Thursday morning, because then he's going to have to play in this Friday afternoon, super high wind forecast situation. Um, so it takes a lot of patience and discipline uh, to do it that way. I can't believe I'm sitting here Tuesday and haven't filled out my bed car- betting card yet, but that is the case. I'm still waiting to see the tee times released, and I do very much anticipate there being a distinct advantage for players who go out uh, on the late afternoon, Thursday, and then can tee up Friday morning before the high winds kick in Friday afternoon. Um, and we're seeing up to 30 mile an hour winds on Friday and a similar forecast on Saturday. Um, in the end, it might not be a significant difference, but it definitely looks like an advantage that everybody who plays Thursday is basically not going to be severely impacted by wind and half the field who plays later on Friday will be severely impacted by the wind. Um, now this happened at the players. Um, we thought going in, we knew what the what the advantage was going to be for a wave, and then they suspended play because the rain and the and the weather was too bad. Um, I don't know that we'll get some suspended rain in this instance, um, or, or sorry, some suspended play in this instance. It doesn't look that bad. It's just wind. It's not rain, um, but it's definitely something to monitor and a reason why I've placed some bets already. Um, but to close out my car when I'm a little 50, 50 on guys, I'm just going to look at, at the tee times and let that decide, um, who I'm, who I'm sort of on the fence on. And then obviously from a DFS perspective, we have until Wednesday night to, uh, to lock those in. So that'll definitely be taken account for my strategy here. Uh, aside from the wind, um, just touching on, uh, the greens here, they are firm and fast Bermuda. Some of the firmest we see on the PGA tour. Um, it, there's already reports that guys are hitting, uh, into these greens and it, it sounds like concrete and they're bouncing 12 feet in the air uh, and they're impossible to hold with the, with long iron. So it's going to be carnage and you definitely have to have a combination of both good ball striking to pierce it through the wind, but also a reliable short game for scrambling um, as is always the case on difficult scoring conditions. Um, the rough really, really thick rough, possibly the, the thickest rough that we see on the PGA tour. It's not Bermuda rough where the, you get more of that like slippery, uh, challenge. This is just deep, like balls are going to be submerged in this. Um, it's very reminiscent of a U.S. Open sort of sort of venue. So um, it's long. People have taken the bomb and gouge um, approach here. Bryson, obviously, famously taking that horseshoe par five head on, trying to drive the green, nearly did. Um, that was must see TV. I missed that. Um, but uh, you know, Rory's done the same thing. This is the type of course where there are trees and angles that you can take over the trees if you want to be aggressive. Um, like, not a good comp whatsoever, but uh, Colonial Country Club is is an event where we've started to see over the last couple of years the Bombers 
instead of like playing the course the way it's intended to and laying up into dog legs, the guys who can hit a high, long, long ball off the tee are actually going over these trees, taking aggressive lines and generating scoring opportunities. Um, that's something we saw Jason Kokrak do when he beat Jordan Spieth. It's something that we saw uh, Sam Burns do um, when he won one colonial year before. So it's not a comp, but it's just uh, a, you know a reference point for what the longer hitters in the modern game are starting to do to these tree-lined courses. Um, and something that I think gives a distinct advantage to the driving distance um, elite this week. Um, looking at the comp courses this week. So, so Colonial, not a comp. I'm not listing it here. You can get away with being very short off the tee. Um, here, Quail Hollow is one that I think is probably the best example of a long, difficult, challenging, firm and fast Bermuda, uh, thick penal rough you know, Southeast uh, region of the United States. I think it's a dead on comp. It was the host of the president's cup this week. We've seen players like Rory, um, probably like Quail Hollow and here are probably Rory's two most consistent venues on the PGA tour. Um, and we've seen players like Max Homa has, has very repeated uh, history at both Ricky Fowler, Jason day, uh, even more random players like, uh, like Keith Mitchell and, and Gary Woodland. Um, and Luke List, even they—they've all had uh, success at both, and it's sort of this premium driving course where you also need to be able to scramble and putt well on Bermuda. Um, so I'm looking very closely at, at, at Quill Hollow. I think you could look at performance at the Presidents Cup. That might be a little bit of a stretch, but that is the most recent time we've seen Quill Hollow. Um, and then uh, last week's PGA National, there's not a lot of overlap in players who are playing both. But if you look good there, Shane Lowry probably an example of that. Um, you, you can bring a similar sort of a game plan here, especially from a short game perspective. Um, and then Innisbrook, uh, where the Valspars played the concession, where we had the WGC in Florida, um, all very similar, like uh, danger with water surrounding in Florida type of courses. Muirfield Village, a great example of firm and fast greens and thick uh, Bermuda rough. Another one where um, short game might be pretty translatable, although that is bent grass and we are in Bermuda. This week, um, the Country Club, Beth Page Black, Wingfoot, Tory Pines, Kiowa Island, and Augusta, some of the most recent um, the most recent major venues that we've seen, and this is going to be reminiscent of a, of a major. So I really want to see that not only did you play one particular major very well recently, but is your game traveling from major to major? Um, the Open Championship, I didn't include any of those venues here. Um, but, and that's mainly because wind hasn't really been a factor in, in recent open championships. When you look at St. Andrews and, um, uh, St. George's where Colin Morikawa won, that was actually pretty, pretty calm in both of those years. So, um, if the wind was up, that is a, a consistent through point that I might look at, but I don't think it's relevant here. So I'm really looking more at, um, recent U S open and PGA championships specifically and Augusta. Uh, just as a, a challenging par 72 from that perspective with, with firm and fast uh, greens, there's, there's a little sim similarity there, but it's not, it's definitely not a perfect comp. Um, cool. And then going into the betting trends this week, just looking at the list of past winners, uh, not a ton of surprises. You see Scheffler, uh, DeChambeau, Hatton, Molinari, and, and McElroy all winning 55 to one or under. Uh, a couple of back-to-back -back years of, of players amongst the favorites winning here. Obviously, Tiger Woods has won here a bunch. Um, so you have to be a good player. You have to be well-rounded. You have to have, have strong results in major championships. I'd say Tyrrell Hatton's probably the one guy who, who doesn't have that sort of major 
pedigree like the other guys on this list do. Um, but he's a guy who, who grinds in difficult conditions, so it's no surprise to see that he's playing well there. Um, and course history in general is going to be important this week. It's something that uh, is really the foundation of the research I'm looking at to um, to, to refine a, a player pool on. Um, there, this is an elevated event and something that I want to look more closely at over the course of this year is, uh, who is, who, who is always going to those events versus who is now only going there because they have to, because it's an elevated event and the top players have to show up. Um, I thought that was interesting with Rory at the WM Phoenix open that he tends to always skip that event. He had to be there because it was elevated and he chose to skip the century, which he never likes to go to either. So he kind of forced himself to play the WM and he didn't look good. And he kind of said in, in the interviews afterwards, like, this is not a, a place that suits my eye. Um, I get in a lot of trouble with wayward, wayward tee shots here. So um, it's not, of course, I've always gone out of my way to play. Um, players this week, like uh, Patrick Cantlay has never played this event. He's always skipped it and he's had trouble in, in Bermuda, possibly a, a matchup target for me. He looked good the week before, but He's going to an event where he's basically having like his hands forced to to play. I don't love that, and that's something I'm probably going to target against or just fade um, my exposure for. Um, other guys like um, Justin Thomas has only played here once. Xander Shoffley has only played here once. John Rahm, interestingly enough, only played here for the first time last year, um, and he finished T17. He ball struck it really well, struggled with, with the – uh, with a short game, and he's never won in the United States east of uh, Chicago or wherever you know Olympia Fields is. Um, so I don't know. That's interesting. Maybe that maybe that's something. Maybe um, maybe just maybe when we are on the East Coast swing, we don't have to worry as much about John Rom. I know he's won everywhere in the world, and that's probably not true. But uh, we were trying to bet this event, and I need to feel good about not betting him. So that is what I'm going with. Um, okay, that is all of our um, you know pre-tournament preview. Let's let's move it on to the model for this week, and we'll jump into the spreadsheet and see everything that I'm prioritizing. Uh, I try to simplify this as best I can, so I won't go line by line. But the important things we want to touch on here are uh, scoring stats. So that's going to be just recent form entering this week. Bogey avoidance, I think, is huge. And then the big thing for Bay Hill is can you score on these. Over 450-yard par fours, that's something that's consistent in tough venues and majors. Uh, par five scoring is absolutely paramount here. You've got four of them. you got to capitalize. You've got to play those under par um, all weekend. That's going to be your your rare instances where you're able to um, you know, capitalize on scoring because outside outside of that, there are not many opportunities to, to make birdies here. Uh, and then long par fours, every par four, all four of them are over 200 yards. Um, so definitely important to be someone who's comfortable in that, um, area of your game comp conditions. Again, uh, both comp his comp course history and course history are huge for me. And then, uh, difficult conditions as well to get that major history in there. Uh, okay. So then next we have a uh, short game, which I have 21% of my waiting on Uh stroke scan around the green, always important on a difficult track. Um, and then putting, there's a lot of different nuances to this course uh, compared to the West Coast swing. Um, so I'm putting a weighted metric of fast Bermuda putting, uh, just total putting over the last 20, 36 rounds, uh, general Bermuda putting, and then general fast greens. Um, combining that all together, and we can just take a look, quick look at who excels in those categories. It's Taylor Montgomery, Bo Hostler, Sam Burns, who I love this week. Uh, Andrew Putnam and Tyrrell Hatton, who has had a lot of success here. So 
Um, if you can putt well here, it's definitely not a putting contest, um, but it is uh, something that I'll feel a little bit better about. It's so hard to get to the green. So once you're on the green, let that not be uh, the most difficult part of, um, of the hole. Uh, next, we have approach. So put a lot of emphasis on just general stroke gain approach, but also weighted proximity from 150 plus. Um, a lot of that is concentrated in 200 plus here, uh, but about 70% of the approaches are going to come from 150 plus. So um, definitely not a wedge course and not a course where I want um, players who are, let's say like a Tom Hoagie who's, or a Russell Henley, um, who's elite from, uh, from approach um, inside 150 yards. I don't really want those types of players to be skewed in, in the approach numbers. And you can kind of see like, you know, Cam Davis is not great from probably the shorter range, but is good uh, in the longer range, going from 25 to third. Uh, Cameron Young, similar, you know, someone who really thrives in the longer range approach. Uh, even somebody like a Nate Lashley, Keegan Bradley, uh, these guys are just not rating well at all in approach. Um, but from 150 plus, they are a lot better. So um, just, just a different way to look at approach this week. And then driving, just general strokes gain off the tee and driving distance. Um, you have your Kevin Kisner's, your Kevin Nas, Christian Bizet-Newt, um, a lot of guys who've had success here, um, who don't have driving distance, but if you look at the past, uh, winners, and if we even look at course history, I, I think you will see a little bit of correlation here. Uh, Roy McElroy's the best course history is number one in this field in driving distance. Um, majority of the top 10 here are about top 50 in driving distance. Even Cameron Young has had a good result here. Um, so if you are a Molinari or Sungjae Im, um, you're kind of you've got a lot to overcome if you're not coming in here with a distance advantage. Um, so put that all together with all of these weights in mind. The top ten of my model is John Rom. That makes sense. Uh, again, just for the narrative of him not really wanting to come here so much, I'm going to fade him, and I'll probably regret it. Uh, Rory McIlroy's number two, a better fit here. I said that at the Genesis, and it didn't come to fruition. So we'll see. Uh, Sung J M looked a little disappointing at the Honda, maybe a good DFS consideration this week. I don't know how many people will jump back on him. Max Homa has this West coast reputation, um, but he's actually very good in the Florida swing as well. and trending better than most others, um, this week. So he'll be interesting. Somebody I'm thinking about betting Xander Shoffley, not great on the Florida swing. will probably fade. Same with, um, Patrick Cantley at six. Will Zalatoris, I love. He was my spotlight feature this week and somebody I'll have plenty of exposure to in both DFS. My first bet uh, on my betting card this week. Scotty Scheffler, defending champion. We saw him be, we saw what he did as defending champion at WM. Um, I think he's dangerous this week. Um, and conditions actually look like they're going to be pretty similar to what we had last year. So um, can't can't ignore Scotty. Uh, I think he's, he's a great fit. He's going to always play this event well. Tony, Tony Fino, number nine, I put him in that same group with Shoffley and, and Cantley. He just hasn't really shown it um, in Florida, so probably a fade for me. And then Colin Morikawa, number 10, somebody that you wouldn't think about as a Florida um, specialist or anything of that nature. Um, but he did win the concession, and if you can win there in a WGC, you can absolutely win um, at Bay Hill. So I have some interest in him. Um, moving into who I've bet, um, as I said at the top, this is a weird week with weather. I didn't want to get overzealous with the bets before I saw where everybody is playing. Um, so I'll just start with who I've bet so far, which is, um, three guys, <laughs> um, Zalatoris, as I said, he was going to be an auto no matter where he plays. I love his fit here. He has a top 10 already in his debut at this event. 
Um, and anytime the conditions get difficult, he tends to show up and he's coming off a top five finish at the Genesis. So love his chances here. He might be the most popular bet of the week was bet down. Uh, that says 33, but I got him at 30 to one. Um, and he's been bet down to probably like 22. So hopefully you got the number bright and early on Monday. Hideki Matsuyama, that's a value bet. 70 to one. That's insane. Uh, to me, I don't understand why he's all the way back there with the course history that he has uh, and his prominence on short game, his results in majors. It just makes no sense why he would be 70 to one. Um, so I'm there 22 in my model um, and trending well, not even like we're buying low on on recent form. Like it just makes no sense. I love Hideki here. Um, and then Sam Burns, we are in the Bermuda swing, uh, Bermuda Burns. He can win an event with his putter. We saw his his ranks in the weighted putting. Um, you know, top three in, in firm and fast um, Bermuda, Bermuda green. So um, this seems to be a good fit. He's someone who's either going to win or miss the cut. So maybe I'm a little less bullish in DFS if I'm trying to be more conservative, but uh, as an outright bet, I love it. Um, 60 to one is crazy. I think he's slipping backwards. He was 50. Um, he was 50 when, when odds opened and I checked this morning and he was 60. So I'm, I'm doing it. Um, those guys are definitely on my card. And then, I have a second tier of question marks because I just don't know where these guys are going to fall on the wave splits. But I think ultimately when we see who's teeing off on, um, on Thursday evening and Friday morning, if it's any of these guys, I'll start there. Um, hopefully all of these guys don't have the opposite split. Cause then I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, but I basically have room to either bet one of Homa or Morikawa. That would be a difficult decision for me. Why I have not made it yet. Um, Keegan Bradley is, is all the way down to 80 to one. Now I'm really thinking about that. He has amazing history here. Definitely a placement bet that I want to put in definitely a first round leader bet that I want to have this week. Uh, Florida rested and, and plays well in Florida and has putted the least bad on Bermuda. So I like him. I really like him at the players next week too. So keeping an eye on that future. Uh, I was on him last year and he, he gave it a, a scare. So like Keegan in this stretch of the year, uh, Cameron Young, bomber, difficult course, shows up in majors. I've, I have a hard time, uh, I, you know, betting Zalatoris and not also being interested in Cam Young. So I feel like a lot of times when I bet one, I bet both. Um, and Victor Hovland here, um, you know, T two last last um, last year at the API uh, had a kind of a stranglehold on this tournament, and then the wind whipped up. It became a scrambling contest, and he. He couldn't keep up, which is too bad for Vic because I think he would have easily won this tournament uh, last year if the conditions stayed down. Um, but I actually do want to just pull up. Um, let's see if I can if I can get to this. But if you look at the strokes gained from uh, the last year's tournament, I think the the assumption is you don't want to play Victor Hovland in a scrambling contest. Um, if the winds whip up, that's bad for Vic. And that was true. Uh, on Sunday, but if you look at the totality of the tournament, he still gained strokes around the green on a very demanding uh, course, and he gained ten strokes tee to green. He was uh, third in the field in strokes gained tee to green, so he played this course really well. And all of his wins, if you look at them, are on windy courses. So he was a, he was my first sort of look when I went into um, went into this week. And if you look at his recent results here. It's not crazy. It's not awe-inspiring. A 13th at Pebble Beach is actually not the best look because that field was was not good. Um, and, and you would like to see him finish top 10 against very little competition. Um, but it's been all short game. The, the ball striking is there. Um, he's somebody who 
who can string together, you know, top five after top five. We've seen him go on those stretches, including at the open. Um, so, you know, he can do it in majors. The around the green is a little frightening, um, but every now and then he pops, you know, and I feel like when, when the conditions get most difficult, um, he focuses more a little bit. Maybe there's something to that. But in any case, I do like Victor Hovland. Um, and he was sort of my first thought um, before the tee times came out. So I'm kind of leaning that way. Um, and then Taylor Pendriff, I'm going to bet one bomb. I don't think people should be betting bombs here. It's not very viable. But we've seen all these David and Goliath, Eric Cole type of situations um, where the random guy just sent, tends to show up. So um, Taylor Pendriff is not that random. He was on the, the President's Cup team at Quill Hollow. Uh, a fit for long courses and uh, somebody who just with the strength of his driver alone as a bomber, um, you know, can do some damage at this course. And he finished top 40 in his debut here last year. So um, that's, that's it for now. I, I can't say that's my card because it is incomplete at the moment. Um, but hopefully we get those tea times this afternoon. I can lock this up. Um, when I do make sure you are subscribed to the lines uh, discord channel. Cause I always put my bets in there. As soon as I place them, there's a link to that in the description. Uh, below as well. Um, that's going to do it for me this week. Thank you guys so much for um, for listening in. Go Nick, stay hot, um, and good luck with your API bets this week. <laughs>